open your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5 and 16. And I'll read there. We'll read 10 verses today, cover a little bit of ground, and then I want to pray over it and get into what I believe the Lord's given me to encourage you with today. So it says there in Galatians 5 and verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. Let's pray over the word today. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you open our eyes to the wonders of it, illuminate it to us by your Holy Spirit. God, that you will give us this day the bread that we need. I thank you that you feed us and train us at the same time through this beautiful word that you have given to us in Jesus name. Amen. So we've been um, talking about the appearance of Jesus. You know, Second Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who loved his appearing. We know it's the second coming of Jesus. How can we love his second coming unless we love him? And if we love him, don't we love any time he shows up? Amen. And so we've been talking through a lot of those appearings of Jesus in our life. And last week we talked about baptism. We had a great time uh, in that. Saw some uh, beautiful souls baptized and got to celebrate that together. And we read out of Romans 6 where he said we were buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Baptism exhibits our union with Christ, us as believers. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is what happens after the water, what happens after that, uh, after salvation, after new life in Christ, right? What new person in Christ Jesus. Hooray, I'm a Christian. This is awesome. Yes. And then our, our immediate question becomes, how do I change. How does my life 
change. Remember, we've talked about it before. Why did we come to Jesus? Why do we believe in Jesus? Why are we a Christian? Because we knew we weren't okay without him. We came to that realization. I am not okay without him. So how can I change? Because if we look at ourselves, we seem pretty set in our ways, right? We seem like we're on a track. And, we're, and, and there's a wondering there, how can I be different in the likeness of this salvation that has just taken place in my life? And Paul is writing about this in this letter to the Galatians. We know Paul. Paul was an apostle uh, of Christ, not a disciple, not a follower of Christ during the Gospels, uh, but was saved radically uh, by Jesus Christ, transformed and made an apostle to the Gentiles, those who were outside of the family and the nation of Israel. And he, and he wrote to the Galatians about how we should walk, how, how and, and I see it even more of how we change, how that change in our life takes place. And as I was reading this, and I'll start off with this example, and it may not make sense till we get further down in it, but this is where I put it in my notes. So we're going to talk about it right now. Uh, when I was reading about this and studying about this, it reminded me of our trip uh, to the beach here a few weeks ago. Uh, when we first got there uh, to the condo, the place we were staying, we were able to walk down to the beach. It was getting later in the day, not a lot of people down there. All the chairs are put up, so it was kind of cool to just walk down there uh, to the beach. And I'm already focused on, I don't want to get sand all over me. That was like one of my focuses. I don't want to get a lot of sand on me and we walked down there and I realized that if I stayed out of the water, the sand didn't really stick to me, right? You could walk in it, you could kick it around, you know, you get just a little bit on you maybe because somebody else had walked through there with wet feet. But if you didn't get your feet wet, you didn't get wet, then the sand wouldn't stick to you. It wouldn't adhere to you. I was like, well, that's pretty good. That wasn't really hard to deal with. I can handle this. And so the next day we go down and we get in the water and I encountered something completely different than the first day. Because what I found out is if you add just a little bit of water to that situation, sand sticks everywhere, all over you, every part of you, even parts. I didn't even get that part of me in the sand. I'm not sure how sand got right there, but it's just everywhere. It's on your hands, it's on your arms, on your feet. You touch it just everywhere. It adheres to everything. And so two very different experiences with only one element of difference. The water, that moisture was the only difference. Without it, you can do as much as you want out there in that sand and not have any issues with it, not, not have it adhere to you or leave with you when you leave the beach. But you add just a little bit of moisture, a little bit of water, and it's going to stick to you like glue. I promise that was my experience. Now, again, I was thinking on this as I was reading uh, and each one reminded me of the other Re reading Paul when he's talking about walk by the spirit. He said, I say to you, walk by the spirit. Then he tells us something interesting. He said, if you walk by the spirit, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. And yours may say, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of your 
flesh. We know that in our brokenness and in our humanity, there's fractured desires and attitudes that we just find in ourselves naturally. And what Paul is saying is that if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That there's two ways of walking in the spirit and in the flesh. And the interesting thing about them is they are contrary to one another. This one doesn't function with this one. This one doesn't function with this one. They don't work together. They are contrary. He's saying, if you do this, you won't do this. If you do this, you won't be doing this. That's the nature of contrary. And when we, what we read in Romans about baptism, when he, he wrote that as well, he said, when you have been united with Christ in his death, burial and resurrection in baptism, when, when you're saved, you're, you're raised to walk in newness of life and the likeness of Christ's resurrection. And then we're to reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. And we've got these two ways of walking that are contrary to one another. And as you read the writings of Paul, some of it can be uh, difficult to understand at first. Peter even said that. He's like, it's a little bit dense. Paul has some hard sayings. It's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around it, but I know that it's good and I know that it's true. Uh, but what you can say about Paul is he would, he knew something about emphasis. And if it was something important, you were going to hear about it more than once and in more than one way. So earlier in Galatians, in this letter to the church uh, of, in that city, in chapter three, he said to them, he said, are you foolish that you began in the spirit and you're trying to finish up in the flesh? Are you, are you confused? He's like, what you're trying to do doesn't even make sense. You were saved in the spirit and then now you're trying to walk in the flesh. And he was teaching against the whole book of Galatians uh, has a theme of teaching against the fact that you can be saved by what you can do. He's like, you're saved by Christ alone. Through his grace alone, by, by faith alone, you, you are saved by what he did and not by what you do. And so I'm seeing a connection here between what he taught about salvation and then now what he's teaching us about how to walk. He taught about salvation. He said for, for a soul to be saved, for someone to be saved out of darkness and into light, that there were two views, right? Either grace or works or what I can do in my own might and in my ability in the acts that I can carry out. Either it's either it's of that or it's grace. And those two are contrary to each other. If it's based on grace, it can't be based on what I do. And if it's based on what I do, it can't be based on grace. And so seeing that in salvation, we can easily connect it to our sanctification how we change, how we grow in Christ. It's either by grace that comes from him or the works and the things that I do. You see, it, it, they, they function the same and then they're also contrary to one another. He also said in Colossians, again, he liked to emphasize the same thing over and over again when it was important. He said, just as you've received Christ, how do we receive Christ? By faith. So walk in him as you've received Christ, continue to walk in 
Him. So for these two questions, how am I saved? How, should I, how, how, how am I changed? He handles them the same way. The answer for Him here in verse 16 from Him is that we should walk in the Spirit because it's contrary to our flesh. Now, He also says, we'll get back into the text a little bit here, verse 18 that those that are led by the Spirit are not under the law. And these are words and phrases that we're kind of like, we've heard them, but if we really think about it, it's like, I've heard that, I think I know what it means, but I'm not really sure what it means. When he says that we're led by the Spirit, meaning now we're not under the law. See, before Christ, I was confined under the rules that I couldn't keep. I was a lawbreaker. I was a rule breaker. That was my identity. I was a sinner. And I was confined in my sin by the law. It was, it was given to show me how broken and flawed I was without Christ. There was a whole lot of don't, 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 don't. But, there, but it wasn't able to transform me and it wasn't able to change me. Only show me that I needed to be transformed and that I needed to be changed. But when he says those that are led by the Spirit are not under the law, they're not under the law because they don't have to be. Because those that are led by the Spirit are not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, which is what the law covers. The law is over those uh, carnal desires, the, the desires of the flesh. That's what it was given to restrain. And he said those that are led by the Spirit, they're not under the law because they don't have to be. It's a completely different walk. It's almost like, well, it's against the law to walk over this line right here. It doesn't matter to me if I'm walking in the other direction. It has no bearing on what I do where that line is if I'm walking in the opposite direction. He says, walk in the spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a difference when you walk. It's just like when you walk in the water and then in the sand, as opposed to not walking in the water and in the sand, you're going to have two very different experiences, even though you're doing what is essentially the same thing. One element different. Right. I thought about this. I heard a statistic this last week that uh, said during the shutdowns last year. As far as church attendance nationwide, they said there was about a third of people that were attending church. A third of the people that were attending church didn't return after the shutdowns. And I didn't dig into, hey, we checked with them. Here's why. They were just looking at total attendance numbers. And I don't believe they were digging into, you know, people that attend, you know, virtually when there's health concerns or when there's issues. They said a third of the people just left just left and never returned and never came back. And, and here's what I believe is, is some of the basis for that. Why, why we saw that happen is because when they were out of church, they didn't notice any difference in their life from when they were in church. It's like, well, I was going, I was doing this, I was attending, and then I wasn't attending because this, I was unable or whatever, and I didn't really notice any difference. There wasn't any impact in my life, kind of like walking in the sand and it did nothing adhering to you, no evidence that you had been through there walking in church, but not walking in the spirit. Right. You wouldn't notice any difference. There wouldn't have been any difference or impact in their life. You remove church, you remove the fellowship with the body. If you weren't walking in the spirit, you wouldn't notice any difference. So why, why should I go back? 
I didn't notice any gaps there. I, I, didn't, I didn't miss anything. Paul says if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. He talks earlier in Galatians, he said, in Christ we're free. Christ has freed us. He said, but that doesn't mean we're free to just do whatever we want. He said, you are free now to conduct yourselves in newness of life. Free to walk in the Spirit, what you weren't free to do before. This is going because I'm going to run out of time. In verse 19, he goes through and says, the works of the flesh are obvious. I won't read back through them again because I'm not going to take time to break them down this morning. But we look through that list and you're just like, I don't like any of those. I know that all of those aren't, aren't good for me, right? What would be hurtful for me? He says they're obvious, that there's no question about it. Like the things he's listing, there's not like, I don't know, hatred, I could go one way or the other, right? Hatred, we could have a discussion on that. No, he said the works of the flesh are obvious. And then he even puts a little caveat on the end and says, you know, he says envy, drunkenness, carousing. And, and to make sure we know that this list isn't exhaustive, he says, and anything similar, anything else that are like these. So you don't read it and go, hey, my little deal wasn't in there, so I'm good. He's like, no, if it's similar to this, then you know it's a work of the flesh. Why? Because if it is similar, that means it's not contrary. And if it's not contrary, then it's not the spirit. So again, we see that there's nothing really confusing about it. There's nothing surprising about it. We see that contrary nature. And then he goes and he talks about, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he tells us again, he told us at the beginning of that text, we're to walk in the Spirit. Then he says we're to be led by the Spirit. And then down here at the bottom, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So this beautiful list of the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the coolest thing to me about this list is? Is that everybody wants these things. You read that list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who doesn't want those things? Everybody wants those things. At least to be a recipient of them, right? You want other people at least to treat you with each one of these. People that are far from God want this. They're like, yeah, I want to be loved. I want to feel joy and peace. I want to be able to have patience and others have patience with me. It's so beautiful and so contrary to what we see in the world that everybody wants it. And it even says there's no such law against these things. Why would there be? Who's going to outlaw kindness? Who's going to outlaw love and joy and peace? And gentleness and faithfulness. Why would you outlaw things like that? Here's another thing that's interesting. You look at those two lists. Everybody wants the fruit of the Spirit. Again, even those that are far from God. And we try to accomplish it. And we try to accomplish it in ourself. Okay? Not walking with the Spirit, but just walking as me. And I try to accomplish it. And I try to experience it. And it never works. It never works. When I try to accomplish it on my own, when I try to experience it on my own, the fruit of the Spirit, what I end up with are the works of the flesh. Think about it. When I try to walk in patience on my own, what are we going to end up with? It's right here in the middle. Outburst of anger. That's it. <laughs> when I try to walk in patience, 
I end up with outbursts of anger. When I try to walk in love on my own, aside from God, aside from walking in the spirit, what, what do I end up with? Oh, probably up here at the top, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry. Right. When I try to walk in these things, the fruit of the spirit, not with the spirit. But when I try to walk in his fruit by myself, I end up with the works of the flesh because that's all I can do. That's all that I can work. We end up with the works of the flesh. Even faithfulness, selfish ambition. And the reason for that is it's not the fruit of Stephen. It's not what I can bear. It's the fruit of the spirit. And that's why Paul says we have to walk with him. We all want it and we can't access it outside of him, can we? We've seen that. And Paul's point in comparing it to salvation is, hey, the grace you received in salvation by faith, it's the same grace that you received to walk with the spirit by faith to even be able to enjoy these things. He's the one that produces these things. He writes real descriptively about salvation. He said, again, not of works, but by grace, through faith. You've been adopted into the family of God. He's put His Spirit into your heart, shot it in there, so that you can testify from your heart that you've been adopted into the family of God. Of God, And he's saying that same grace will allow you to walk. You walk with the Spirit. Not now having been saved, go clean yourself up, go make yourself right. No, having been adopted into the family, walk as you have been saved by grace through faith. Being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit. It means we don't have to strive or struggle to walk in the Spirit because we can't work our way up to it, okay? Any more than you can work your way up and strive to get saved. All you're striving, you can't get it done. It's by His grace alone. And it's the same way that we walk. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do anything, right? We may do a lot. We may do a lot of things But what I do isn't the foundation for who I am in Him. It's just a fruit of who I am in Him. It can't be the foundation. Thank heaven it's not based on what I do. But it's based on what He has done. Because if it was based on what I do, I've already messed it up today, probably, right? If it's based on what I can do to retain it, to sustain it, to keep it going... We're we're lost. He's like, I am the support. I am the foundation. And I will, the same way I saved you, enable you to walk. When I'm walking in Him, I'm not trying to get my way. I'm not trying to make things go my way. I'm walking in His way. When I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not worried about what other people think. I may be aware of it, but I'm not broken by it because my validation doesn't come from them. Who I am isn't rooted in what they think about me. Again, we want to live at peace with all people. That's what it says. But if, I, if, if I'm not able to, it doesn't end me because my validation is in that I am accepted by him. Because what people think about you are going to change. It's fickle. It's going to change. What he thinks about you never changes. 
It doesn't ever change. And I'm comforted by what he thinks of me instead of being tossed around by what people think about me. The same God that saved my soul to the praise of his glorious grace is sanctifying my life one day at a time as I walk with him. The same God, the same way. And it brings about a love in my heart for every appearing of Jesus Christ. Because every time I see him, I think about what he's done for me. Everything I, every time I see him, I think about what he's doing in me. And I'm so glad that I get to be a part of it. I engage him, the spirit, on all the avenues of grace that he has made available to me. Right? So scripture, prayer, fellowship service in the body of Christ, the, the, the sacraments that, that he's given us, things like baptism. I, I embrace and engage him on all of those and I expect him to continue the work in me that he already started. So when we're faced with this, how do I change? It, you change the same way that you got saved, by grace. By the power of God at work on the inside of you. You couldn't do anything then. He hasn't brought you yet to perfection. So how are you going to be able to walk it out on your own apart from him? That's encouragement today is the, the way that I change is the same way that I got saved by his grace. The power that comes from him by the spirit that he has placed on the inside of me. I expect him to continue that work. So as I finish up, I want to talk about a few things that we can expect in this walk with him and kind of bring it. I know that that's some higher view stuff like up in the air. So let's bring it down to the ground. What can we expect in this walk? What should we be ready for as we're walking in the spirit? The first thing we should be ready for is conflict. We should be ready for some conflict. He just told us. That the spirit and the flesh contradict one another. Well, guess what you have? Both of them. You have both of them. And so there's going to be some conflict in your life as these things are meeting. The spirit's like, no. And the flesh is like, yes. Or the spirit says, yes. And the flesh says, no. They're contrary to one another. That's why Paul focused on this and said, that's why we have to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. It's being put to death. We went through and we talked about that out of Colossians. There's going to be some conflict because the spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. Regardless of when you got saved, you were a sinner for a long time. You got pretty good at it. Right? You've got some reflexes there. You've got some attitudes there that have been ingrained over years of your life. And so there's going to be some conflict when you begin to walk in the spirit. Again, not just your actions. We can focus on actions. Well, I still did this or I still do this. It has so much more with your mind, will and your emotions. Because that's what funds and generates most of your actions is what you think about, how you feel and what your attitude is, what your uh, how you think and feel about the things in life. The flesh is selfish. It's self-serving. It's self-gratifying. It's self-centered. And that creates some conflict when you're walking in the spirit because it doesn't want to. Your flesh doesn't want to walk in the spirit. It doesn't. So that brings about 
some conflict. When you face situations, there's a couple, there's two different ways you can face them in the flesh or in the spirit. When you face a situation in the flesh, most of the time you're going to either be afraid or feel like you have to fight. You're going to be scared. Why? Because you're not sufficient. You've already measured and weighed yourself. You're not sufficient. And so you start to get worried and you start to get anxious or you, you, you push from that and go, I have to defend myself. I have to fight for myself because if I don't, nobody else will. It's just me. I have to fight. So it's our fight or flight response that we've known for so long. And that tries to creep up. When he teaches us that we don't walk by that sight, we, we walk by faith. So you see where there's going to be some conflict there and you just got to be ready for that. You've got to understand that. That there's going to be temptation to walk in the flesh instead of believing the truth that has been delivered to us by him. And we're going to face that on a daily basis. We're going to face that conflict in some level on a daily basis. And that's why Paul uses such strong language like crucify and put to death for those carnal desires. So we can expect conflict because these things are contrary. They're contrary. Don't feel like you're going to be able to redeem the works of the flesh and all of a sudden make them okay. You're not going to be able to take anything out of that list and go, okay, God, but I've made it far enough now. Like you're okay with me being envious, right? Like it's okay now because I'm here. You're okay with this because now I've made it to here. You're not going to redeem anything on that list. The only thing you can do is remove it and remove it far from you because bad fruit doesn't change to good fruit. It doesn't. So we can expect there to be conflict. What's the second thing we can expect? We can expect that the spirit that we're walking with, walking in, that we're living by will confront us and convict us about areas of sin that are still in our life. Why? They're contrary. It's gonna, he's going to point it out. And he may do that on a different schedule for different people. You can't be somebody else's Holy Spirit. You can encourage them and go, hey, this really, you know. But you don't know where they are in their walk with him. He's dealing with them as he deals with them. But the spirit is going to convict and confront us on those things. And he's going to compel us to change. And we know that that change is going to be better for us, yet there's still a little bit of conflict in it. But don't be surprised when the Spirit convicts you of something and compels you to change. When's He going to do it? When He does. How's He going to do it? The way that He does it. It can vary. But you'll know because you'll feel it in your heart. Ooh, this has become a first level issue for me right now. This has become something that I absolutely need to take care of. So the question then is, am I willing to change? I heard something, I don't know if it was last week or week four, said, are you really even listening if you're not willing to be changed by what you hear? Doesn't mean you have to be changed by what you hear when people are talking to you. But if I'm truly listening to you, then I'm willing to be changed, or at least have my opinion differ by what you say. It may not, especially if you say something wild. <laughs> but am I listening if I'm not willing to change? Are we willing to change? Or am I part of that one third of people who goes, you know what? I think I'm good on my own. I think I got this. Things are going okay for me. Remember, we came to Christ because we weren't good enough to start with. I don't know if I like that. Weren't good. We weren't good enough. We weren't what we needed to be, wanted to be. 
when we started, this reminded me of a show I used to watch before it stressed me out too much. It was a show on, I think it was on MSNBC. Calm down. It was a reality show. It was called The Profit, but spelled P-R-O-F-I-T, like money, revenue over expenses. It was a guy named Marcus Lamonis, and he was a big time businessman. And he would go into companies, be invited into companies, businesses that were having a hard time, right? They're, they're not doing well, they're struggling. And he would be invited in. He was an investor, but also a consultant. You've seen some of these on like restaurant rescue or kitchen rescue, you know, the chefs would do the same thing. And he would come in and he would evaluate the business and he would see what they were doing and see how they were having issues. And then he would start to make suggestions. Hey, you should think about this. Maybe you should take this, stop doing this, or go online here, uh, change, close this store, and put more money into this store. He would make big suggestions. And inevitably, almost every time, the business owner would get mad. They would get angry. He'd say, you need to change this and this and this. Well, I don't want to change that. Well, I don't like what you're saying. I don't think that would be good for me. I don't know about that. And I always would look at him and go, why is he here? He's here because it's not going well. He's here because this, you were having difficulties. You weren't able to, this business wasn't running successfully. That's why he's here. But when he would introduce change, always, they would never go, that's an amazing idea. We should definitely do that. They go, I don't know about that. I don't think that'll work. It's like, who's doing better right here? Who's having more success here, him or you? Who seems to have a better view on how things actually work, me or Jesus Christ? Right? Who seems to know more about life and the way that it should be lived? Me or the spirit who was here at the beginning? And, and, and so it, when I think about it, I'm always unwilling to change. None of us like to change, especially when it means we've been doing it the wrong way. Because I want to try to prove, no, you're, you're not really right about that. I've been doing this the right way. Watch, I'm going to keep on going and running my business like this. And I bet it'll get better. It probably won't. Because if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're just going to keep experiencing what you've been experiencing. But, but I would see that, and again, I had to quit watching it because it seemed too much like work to, to watch this. But I would, I would see them, they, they would bring him in, but when the time came for change, it was, well, either I don't believe that'll work, or I don't think I can do what you're asking me to do. And that's what we respond to the Spirit with sometimes when He compels us about change. It's like, I don't think that'll work. You know, that's our temptation. It's like, this won't work. Love won't work. I got to be tough. Forgiveness won't work. I have to punish them or they won't learn anything. Right? The, the temptation is to disbelieve the truth and to believe the lie that the flesh is going to be able to get it accomplished, even though there's decades of evidence that that doesn't work well. So it's either I don't believe what you said will work, I believe I got a better function, or I know what you said will work, but I don't really believe I can do it. I don't believe I've got it within me to get it done. And that's the whole point. You don't, but he does. And he can. Because when I have that attitude, it, it, it's still focused on me. And I'm not just on my own. I'm with him. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I belong to him. It's not just on me. Some of the most torturous times of my life have been when I've been trying to do it on my own. 
I get worried about a situation. I get concerned about how it's going to be handled. I don't, I, I see that I don't have enough control to be able to steer it, fix it, or make it right. And it will torment me until I realize I'm trying to do this on my own. This is not mine to do. This isn't mine to try to figure out. God, God forgive me of that. I'm walking in a, in, in an attitude of self-preservation. Like if I don't, if I don't help myself, if I don't do something that it's all going to fall apart and you've been running this for a long time, I trust you. I'm going to do what you told me to do and trust you with the things that I can't do anything about. And there's just a relief and a peace that comes from that. And I, I learned it years ago and then yet I'll still find myself just being twisted up about something for, for hours or days or however long it keeps coming around until it gets back. And that, the, the, I'm going to take time to break down. Those are the times when you start to play things through in your head, right? Like, how, how, how's this going to go? How's this interaction going to go? How's this situation going to play out? And it's always bad. Like, it always plays out bad. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be bad. It's like, you just made all that up. You just took it all and just crafted it in your mind. Like this is the only outcome that can happen in this situation. And it's, again, it's that spirit of self-preservation that I have to be the one to fix it. I have to figure it out. I have to steer it the right direction or everything's going to fall apart. And again, it's just the reminding of if, if everything is based on me or this, and it's going to fall apart, if I mess up, we're in trouble. It's all over. You might as well just hang it up now. Right? And same thing with all of us. Because we're not Him. We can't hold all of that. And aren't you glad He knows that? Every time when I'm like, God, I shouldn't be trying to carry this. He's like, ha, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Because it was going so well. No, it wasn't. It wasn't going well. And when I start to feel like that, if I ask myself, why am I feeling this away? The answer is always, if I'm afraid or I'm angry, why am I feeling this way? It's always because I'm trying to do something on my own outside of what he's asked me and directed me to do. And I haven't asked him about it. Either that or I haven't trusted him when I asked him about it. Well, God, please help in this situation. I just don't know what we're going to do about this. They're contrary. Okay, I took a lot longer on that one. Are we willing to change when he brings it up? when he compels us to change. So what can we expect? We can expect conflict. We can expect challenge to the way that we think because we think in a carnal manner and he wants to change that. He wants to set it to right. So we can expect that. Number three, you can expect this to be a lifelong journey. Aren't you excited? <laughs> I can't fix it for you before you get out the door. It's not going to happen. You can expect this to be a lifelong journey. Paul, if we had time to go through the story of Paul, and most of you know it, but if you had time to go through the story of Paul, just an amazing life, amazing transformation. I mean, he led so much of the development of the church in the early days. And towards the end of his life in Philippians, he wrote, I, I don't have it all together. I haven't, I haven't apprehended. I haven't arrived yet. He said, but here's what I do. I forget the things that are behind me and I press on to the things that are ahead. I forget the things that were in the past and I press on to the things that are ahead. And I believe when he was talking about the things that were in the past, he wasn't saying, I forget all my 
friends that were martyred or that I lost or that I'll never see again. I just put them out of my mind. I don't believe that's what he was saying. But he was saying all the failures, all the fears, all the things that I did that I shouldn't have done, I put those in the past and I don't let them affect how I think today. Don't hurt somebody today because you're protecting yourself from what somebody did to you back when. Because we'll hurt people in the present based on how we got hurt in the past. I'm not letting that happen to me again. That happened to me back here. You're not going to do that to me. And that wasn't even on the table. Right? He's saying, I forget those things that are behind. And I press on to the things which are ahead. I'm pressing forward. Again, it's going to be a lifelong journey. This is a walk that's going to take you the rest of your life. You won't be perfected at the end. You'll be perfected after the end. And I was thinking about that. I was like, God, why don't you just put us to write? Why wouldn't you just put us to write? Because we're... Until we pass through death or his return, one or the other, and who knows what that'll look like. That's a question for the box, maybe. Those of us that are alive and remain, as like you said. When we get to that, if we were perfected, we're still going to have that carnality somewhere on the inside of us. Can you imagine how we would wield it? How would we walk? I think it would be counterproductive. And so we walk now in humility knowing I don't have it. I haven't apprehended it, but I've got hold of the one who does. And he's got hold of me. And it's not based on me hanging on. He's hanging on to me. And I'm moving forward, forgetting the things that are behind and moving forward. And it will be a lifelong journey, a work that will take the rest of your life. Don't be surprised by that and don't despise it. Don't expect to be perfect by the end of this year. You won't be. You'll be disappointed. Unless you're dead, and then we'll miss you. Because that's the only way you're going to be perfect by the end of this year, is if you go on ahead of the rest of us. It's going to be a lifelong journey. Expect that. Otherwise, you'll be disappointed. So expect conflict. Expect Him to challenge us. Expect it to be a lifelong journey. And then number four, and I'm, I'm closing. Walking in the Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. It will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. And no tree eats its own fruit. The fruit of the Spirit that you bear is going to be seen and enjoyed by others. It's going to be calling them because it's contrary to what they've experienced in life. It's going to call them to Jesus. The fruit that you produce Fruit always contains a seed, and the seed on the inside of that fruit goes forth. And it calls people to Jesus. They see His uniqueness shadowed in your life, and they come closer because there's nothing like Him out there. There's nothing else in the world like Him. So you will be a part of that appearing of Christ in someone else's life. Again, who doesn't want the fruit of the Spirit? We all want it. Only way you can produce it, walking with Him. How do we walk with Him? By faith. Resting in the grace that He has already given us. Amen. United with Him, we walk in newness of life. We walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. 
as we were saved, we also walk. And when we do that, we won't practice or carry out the works of the flesh. We won't. Again, are you going to be perfect? No, but you don't want to be a practicer of evil. You don't want to be somebody who's just working on it over and over. You want to be walking with Him. Because if you're walking with Him, those things don't stick to you. And don't try to walk in the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. Because it won't work. You'll just end up with the works of the flesh. Just like that add in one element, add in the water, changes the whole situation at the beach. Him being in your, and I don't, I don't want it to say like he's just a little bit of an add-on, but him being present makes all the difference. Him being present makes all of the difference. He causes the things of the kingdom to adhere to you, the things that you couldn't have adhere to you in your own life. The things that you tried and wanted to work up and couldn't, he gets it done because that's what he does. One last quote. I'm finishing. Andrew, you can go ahead and come up. We'll get ready to sing together. I've gone a little bit longer than I meant to. Caleb's probably loving it. The surest sign. I read this. I was like, this is a cool little quote. I can't believe I hadn't seen this yet. The surest sign of a full bucket is spilled water. The fullest sign that the bucket you're carrying is full is water sloshing out of it, Right? One even said the surest sign of a full bucket is wet feet. You know, because we've all carried a bucket and it just kind of sloshes a little bit. It just does. The, the surest sign of a full bucket is spilled water. The surest sign of a saved soul is a changing life. Not a perfect life. Again, you won't make it to perfect yet. But you're changing. As you walk with Him, He's changing you. He's working on your heart. He's working in your life. And He's changing you day by day, grace to grace, into the image of the Savior. That's what we want. Amen. Stand up with me. I'm going to pray over us and we'll get ready to sing together. I'm going to let you, let you go. Father, thank You that it's by grace. Thank you that it's by grace. If it weren't, we would have no hope. You saved us to the praise of your glorious grace. And I thank you that it's that same way that we walk. By grace, through faith. Not, not of what I'm doing. What I'm doing comes out of the abundance of what you've already done. I thank you that we're able to be led by you, to walk with you, to live by the Spirit. No one knows a man like the Spirit on the inside of him. And nobody knows God like the Spirit of God. And I thank you that that's the same Spirit that we walk with, the same Spirit that we're led by, the same Spirit that we live in. I thank you that we don't have to be afraid like those who have no God and are responsible for themselves because we belong to you. We don't have to pretend that we can preserve ourselves, but we can rest in the Almighty God who saved us out of darkness and into light. When we were without strength, you saved us. When we were without strength, you give us the ability to walk by the Spirit. I thank you for all the difference that it makes. And I thank you for the, the fruit of the Spirit that we've already seen in action in our life. That the closer we walk with you, the further we walk away from the old us. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, for the hope that you've given us. 
that as we continue in you, you'll continue the work that you began and that you will complete it because you are faithful. That we don't have to struggle and strive against you, Lord, but we can walk with you in the peace of that grace. Having been reconciled with you by Jesus Christ, we stand in your grace. And I thank you for that. I thank you that as we get ready to go, we walk in peace and unity with each other. I thank you that you protect us, that you keep us safe. Lord, that you give us the mind of Christ, the eyes of faith to see like you see, seeing yourself as you see yourself, seeing us as you see us, not as we see us, but as, as you see us. And as one man said at Overcomers, I'm so glad you don't see me the way that I see me. I want to see myself the way that you see me. I thank you that as we go into this week, we do so with you in mind. Spirit, lead us into paths of righteousness for your name's sake, to the praise of your glorious grace. And Lord, that it's in that that we'll make a difference. We'll make a difference in the arenas and the atmospheres that you've placed us in. And I thank you that as your work goes forth, we'll see the fruit by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.